What's up, podcast listeners? It's your boy, Matt Baxter, on another fantastic, amazing, great, great episode of, yep, you guessed it, The Matt Baxter Show. I am hanging out with Michael Marsiglia at the co-CEO of Atomic Object, this amazing dev shop, design shop, organization, both in Ann Arbor, Michigan, Grand Rapids, Michigan, expanding to Chicago, Illinois. These guys are fantastic. Michael is a West Michigan guy, and we've I, I've just had a ton of fun shooting the breeze with him, not only because he, you know, he came about and he was mentored by a, a gentleman named Carl Erickson, who I have so much respect for. He uh, started to grow through the organization, moved out to Boston, worked on a product organization, came back to Atomic Object and helped grow that business. And now he is the co-CEO of it as well. They are doing some amazing work. And one of the coolest things I like is not only are they creating a cool business and, and, and growing that business, but they're also impacting lives. They're all about uh, writing, sharing stories, talking about the journey. And I think it is such an amazing way uh, to give back in real time what they as leaders, what they as business owners, what they as individuals, what they in the in the software world are learning in real time and sharing that with people so you can learn alongside with it. So Michael, thank you. Thank you for the man that you are. Thank you for the impact that you're having. Thank you for the concept of we want to create a business that lasts 100 years, that lasts beyond all of you. I think it's fantastic. Keep doing you. Keep making Grand Rapids, Ann Arbor, Chicago, fantastic places that I love to visit and just keep changing lives. I hope everybody enjoys this episode just as much as I did. Mike, thanks for being a guest on this podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. So uh, where in the world are you at? I am in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan. I love it. So uh, we have just, I feel like, made, I hate to talk about weather, but this is important. We have literally made the turn from like summer to now it's officially cold outside. Yeah, that is true. I, I think uh, we've had such an unseasonably warm fall. And, uh, you know, I, I think we've dropped what, like 40 degrees in the last couple uh, days? Like I was in Vegas, then Boston, then California and had stunning weather. And I come home to the lovely 32 degrees and gray. Totally. And I think, the, I think the whole country has seen it. I went and visited a friend in uh, the San Francisco area this past weekend. And, uh, you know, it, it just rained and rained and rained when I was there. And I think you told me it hadn't rained in like something like six months. Okay. So I was in Newport and one of the guys I was hanging with, his family lives in like Northern California. And they were talking about like, wasn't there like a bomb cyclone or some like absurd weather event that happened that never does? I think, yeah. Yeah. That's insane. That's insane. But anyways, uh, this podcast is definitely about weather and I was expecting you to be a weatherman, but let's uh, transition. <laughs> so, you know, I, obviously I know, I know a lot about Atomic Object. I know a lot about you guys, um, but I'd love to hear your story, your background, kind of what led you up to today. I'd love just to dive into that. Yeah, sure. Um, I guess I can kind of start uh, with when I, when I went to college um, because, you know, my for the vast majority of my career, I've been with Atomic, almost almost the entirety of Atomic's 20-year history. So the, the, the two dovetail together quite nicely. So I went to Grand Valley um, in 2000, and I went for uh, computer science. And uh, my first semester there, I knew I always wanted to do like a, uh, an exchange somewhere. And I, I went to an information night uh, because the CS department had set up an exchange to uh, Uppsala, Sweden. And I thought, you know what? That sounds pretty good. Like it's, it sounds like a great place to go and, and do an exchange. And like at that point in my life, it was just like far enough out of my comfort zone where I still felt good with it. It wasn't, you know, going to like Southeast Asia or something. I don't think I was quite ready for that as a, as a um, 
19 year old. I, I certainly would be now, but uh, you know, I thought this sounds really good. So I, I went to this information night and that's where I met uh, Carl Erickson, who ended up becoming the founder of Atomic Object. He was a, a professor at Grand Valley there. And I, I never had him in class. He taught upper level classes, but he had established this exchange to Sweden. And so I, I listened to his information night and I, I talked to him afterwards. And then I kind of went back and, and did my thing and, and forgot about it a little bit. And lo and behold, I get this postcard from him a couple weeks later. It was from Sweden. And all it says is like, you could be here next year. Come see me. So I thought, wow, that's, that's kind of cool. So it's like classic, like one of those, here's your, if you needed a sign, here it is. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, and, 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 you know, he was in, he was in recruiting mode and, you know, we had talked after the, um, after the information night. So, you know, I, he sent out the postcard. Uh, I went, I went to get to know him. Uh, you know, we set up my exchange for Sweden the next year. I ended up going there my, my sophomore year and, uh, Carl and I just kind of became friends. And then he eventually kind of became my advisor, um, and at the end of my freshman year, you know, when I'm, when I'm going and talking to him about other, other classes and whatnot and getting ready for Sweden, he says, you know, you got to find another advisor because I'm going um, to take a sabbatical and start a, a dot-com company with a couple former students of mine. I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, I just meet this guy. I set up this stuff and now, now I got to find another advisor again. Yeah, but right. I, he kind of continues the conversation. He's like, well, you know, come to think of it. What are you doing this summer? And I'm like, well, I, you know, I, I, you know, I work in this factory that uh, um, uh, makes parts for self-serve car washes. So I'm like putting parts in boxes all summer. And he's like, well, do you want to write some computer programs for us? I'm like, well, that, that sounds pretty great. And I, you know, thinking back at it, like, I, I don't know if it, it was just spontaneous because he, he didn't know anything about like if I was good or not. So I, I think what, after, I, I was literally, I was literally thinking like, I know I, Carl and I've like gone into some awesome, like we've taken our dogs, dogs for walks and spent some time together. And I'm like, I'm kind of curious if Carl really had that, that premeditated. And what, part of me thinks he might've, the other part of me thinks like he might've literally just been thinking on a, on the spot. Like I, I could go either way with that. <laughs> yeah. I tend to think he was thinking on the spot, but then, you know, he's a smart guy. So he went and did some diligence and, uh, um, <laughs> you know, yeah. kind of, kind of followed up again later. And uh, so I, I started working for him and uh, at the time, he he uh, he was uh, he was taking this sabbatical to to build this dot com startup. So it was classic dot com one right? So this was like you know two thousand. This was b right before the the bubble really burst. Um, and uh, we were basically building software to make it easier to build software. It was it was so meta and so um, you know so so destined to fail. Looking back at it, right? Like it was. You know, we had we had some smart people. We had some cool process. We were building cool technology, but we had we had no customer. We had no product market fit. We had no revenue. So, um, you know, when when money dried up, like a year later, like there was really there was really nothing left of that startup. Um, was this? Uh, did you guys go bootstrap, or did you guys self fund, or what was the what was kind of like what what kind of at least brought you to attempt to build something? Yeah. So. Um, it was it was all venture funded, so the funding was out of someone. And I'm I'm so young at this time, like I didn't really understand. Yeah, no, any of this. yeah, yeah. The the funding was out of uh, out of Austin, Texas, I believe, and okay. uh, um, they had it had gone through one of Carl's old students who was in New York at the time, and then they had brought Carl in to kind of be the VP of engineering. And at that time, you know, 
he had he had taught computer science and information systems and stuff like that and you know he didn't have really any formal business training either so he you know he's brought in to be the vp of engineering and basically build the engineering uh team in uh you know low cost of living grand rapids i love that i love that so the original uh the original potentially play didn't necessarily turn out exactly as you guys hoped, but I'm sure you guys learned an insane amount along the way. So what, what kind of, what, what was the next phase? Yeah. The next phase was, uh, you know, Carl was having a lot of fun, you know, building this team and, uh, um, you know, building, 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 uh, um, real software for clients, as opposed to just kind of teaching folks how they should do it. You know, I think he felt a little bit, maybe a little bit like a hypocrite, like he's a professor teaching people how to build software, but he's never really done it professionally. So, I think he was really enjoying it, so he decided that you know he didn't he didn't want to go back to the university. He wanted to to create a company, um, but what what the experience taught him is I better create a company that has revenue. So right. you know that <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that led us that led us into uh, um, and building a service company. And at the time, um, remember this is like two thousand one now, and at the time everyone's like you know, don't go into computer science. Like the whole, everything is going to be done in India and Eastern Europe. And uh, people were like encouraging their kids, you know, insanely enough, like not to go into computer science. You know, uh, wages had gone from all time highs with the dot-com boom to like, and they just crashed for engineering. And uh, so it was an interesting time to create a company. Um, But like kind of the thesis behind the company at the time was, you know, some projects are just never gonna make sense to offshore. So um, I think for the first five years of Atomic's existence, um, all of our revenue was within like a 20 mile radius of Grand Rapids. So, you know, at the time, like you you kind of rode the wave of this first company and then the transition, were you mm-hmm. just like, I'm having a blast, I'm gonna ride this out. Obviously you started writing software, is that kind of what you, st- was that, were you defaulted? Did you step into like more business development? I mean, what, what kind of was your role in all this? Like, I guess the first company, and then as you transition out, obviously, you know, you've stayed in software ever since. What was kind of that transition from number one to sort of next phase, both your skill set and just what, what you were thinking about at the time? Yeah, so that, that transition came years later. You know, at the time, I was still very much, you know, with the first company, I was a freshman in college, right? Yeah, right, right. right. And then when uh, uh, Atomic started, um, I just kind of stayed on as an intern. So I, you know, I went, I went to college in 2000, you know, thinking, well, tech's a great place to be, right? And then after the first year in college, I'm like, oh, I hope I can make a living in tech, right? <laughs> so <laughs> um, so after, after I graduated, I, I, I stayed on with Atomic um, for a couple years, and uh, just had fun building software. Um, and in 2005, um, I, I stepped away from the company for a small hiatus. I, I moved to the Boston area. I took a job with X-Ray. Um, uh, so they're, they're local to Grand Rapids as well, but they had a, like a center of excellence in the Boston area. Oh, that's and cool. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, you know, I got to learn what it was like to be uh, part of a product company as opposed to, you know, part of a service company. So seeing like the full life cycle of the product, um, I worked out there for for three years. Really cool people I work with. Great team. We built great products. Um, uh, I worked on uh, software for um, sheet fed printing presses. So like big printing presses that you know uh, where they print the newspaper or they print uh, um, books and all kinds of different things, right? And uh, the solution we built for them helped keep the presses calibrated, so up and running well, and all of our customers were 
primarily like Japanese press manufacturers. So we would sell to the press manufacturer as part of their, their full solution. So, you know, when I was there in Boston, I, I, got to, I got to spend some time in Japan meeting with customers. And that was really my first experience into kind of more like, you know, um, engineering, biz dev type stuff. Um, and I really liked it. And when I lived out east, I also, um, I also got my MBA. I decided I, I wanted to just learn more about business. Um, and then in 2008, when I moved back, I'd, I'd kept in good contact with Carl and Atomic had continued to grow and do well. And, uh, you know, I wanted, uh, I was interested in coming back to Atomic, but I was interested in, in, in eventually doing, doing more things with the company, um, other than software. So you, um, you, your company in Boston was a product company. So you were actually building software that focused, like literally was the company itself was, was, was the product. And, you know, it's, it's always been a fun debate for us, like with our own businesses, because we are a software company ourselves, which is very, very vastly different than a, like, as you've kind of talked about a dev shop that helps other companies with software, obviously a lot of similar skill sets, obviously a lot of the same thesis, but at the same time, there is a, uh, there, there's a fundamental difference in the way you kind of think about those. So at the time for your first experience working at a product company versus the evolution into, you know, being a service provider, what was the difference to you? What are similar? Would I mean, I'm sure audience members would love to kind of know, because just because you work in software, the, the philosophy behind what you're building, what you're thinking about building is totally different between the two. Yeah. So at, at, at Atomic, um, you know, clients hire us primarily for one of two reasons. Either they don't have the capacity to do something or they don't have the expertise to do something. And many times both, right? So a lot of times the way I look at the service we're providing to them is almost outsourced innovation where we can come in and we can, we can provide them with like the user experience. We can provide them with like helping them figure out what they should build. We can, we can build their application. You know, we can then work with their team or we can support it long-term. But our, 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 um, our uh, you know, value chain really starts and stops with software. I think when you move into the product company, like you, your company just requires like uh, more, more roles, different, different types of folks, right? Like how are, you, how are you actually selling the solution you're creating? Like do you need enterprise salespeople? Do you, um, you know, is it more of a pure SaaS model? Um, you know, you're thinking about things like what's the life cycle of this product? So you're thinking about, you know, am I going to cannibalize this product for some new product? Um, like what's the strategy there? Um, you know, we're, we're probably dealing, we're, we're helping our clients think through some of those things, but we're, we're less on the hook for those at the service company. I like that. And so, you know, is, is part of, so I guess your DNA being in software for, you know, obviously seeing a lot that's happened in software over the last couple of decades being in the space, mm -hmm. does your mind default, default like, so if, if, if I walked in your door and I said, here's my company and here's the problems that we have, would you be sort of thinking in terms of like what you would do in my shoes or would you be thinking in terms of how do we optimize the most software? Like kind of where does your brain default towards? Abs absolutely. What's what I want to put myself in your shoes, right? Yeah. I, I, I always like to tell people that like the deep dark secret of custom software is if it's good, it's never done. So yeah. we are we are on the same side of the table. Like what I want to do is I want to help, I really want to help my client 
like spend their money in an effective way that's going to like create a, a big return for them. Because I know if we're successful there, there'll be more projects, there'll be more opportunities, there'll be more things to do together. And I also, I also know that I, I would rather tell someone we're a bad fit to help or like you, you, shouldn't even, you shouldn't even be investing in custom software for this. And I would look at that even as more of like a marketing opportunity for our company. It's, you know, we, we, we do a lot of outbound marketing. So we get a lot of um, kind of warm knocks on the door. Um, and a, a decent percentage of those knocks on the door are people that are, that are bringing us problems that when we when we talk to them about it, we're like, you know what, like you, you can probably solve this without building custom software. You might be able to use off the shelf tools to do it. Maybe you even have a manual process that does it right. And people are just so amazed when we tell them that they're like, no one else told me that, um, and I look at that as like, that's, that's how you like build trust for the long run. And that's how, you, that's how you build a company that's going to last for the long run. And I think it's just way more fulfilling. Um, you know, if, if you came in and talked to us about software, like my number one goal is, is your success. I want to see you succeed. And if, if that's, you know, working with us uh, on a bunch of software projects, that's great. If that's, um, you know, us helping you figure out that maybe there's a, a better solution, that's great too. It's, uh, it- it's, it's business maturity at its finest. And that's something that I've started to learn over the years is like three, four, five years ago when we were literally just getting off the ground. It's like, I'm willing to try to get a customer however we can. It's me trying to convince them they should use our product and this, that, and the other. And now it's like one of the greatest feelings in the world, sort of being on like, whether it's a product demo or just like talk, because we're in the HR space. And so mm-hmm. talking with an HR team and just say, walk me through your hiring process. Let's not even talk about our t- tool at all. Like we'll get there in a bit, but like walk me through your process and hearing this, that, and the other. And it's like, we, we are so far from us potentially being a help because you have to work on X, Y, Z well before. And here's, here's some introductions or wh- whatever it may be. Those are like, in, in one sense, yeah, it's like, wish it would have been a customer. But in the other sense, it's like those, I feel like are almost some of the most fulfilling conversations, like telling somebody no, because it's like, I'm now coming in and saying, look, I'd love to win your business, but one of the greatest feelings in the world is saying, you need help in areas well before you need help in us. And if that's the case, let's see, let's see how we can help with that. So I, I, I respect that opinion a lot. I, I, I 100% agree with what, with, what you're, with what you're saying there too. Like, uh, um, because so, so many times, um, if, you, if you just jumped on that opportunity and, and like took that business, they, they might not be ready for it. 100%. And, uh, you know, it's not good to have, have bad outcomes, especially when you can avoid them, especially it's, it's almost, it's almost like malpractice at that point. Yep. Yep. And, and so I'll, I'll give you a classic example. So we're a video screening tool, meaning mm-hmm. we are, we, we end up replacing a lot of that entry level phone screen or that entry level um, in-person interview or whatever it may be. And so the companies that are struggling to find applicants right now, for as much as I'd love to sell somebody software, like our solution isn't going to help as much uh, until you have candidates applying. Right. And so right. five years ago, four years ago, three years ago, people would be like, no, this is brilliant. And then they'd be like, well, nobody, nobody did it because we didn't have any apply. It's like, well, yeah, that's fair. Like I can't really help with that. And now we've kind of gone out and found partnerships and relationships with people that can kind of help fill that top of funnel. And it's, and it's like, you need to talk to them first and then we'll come in and help. And let's, and, and, and to your point, like that all kind of stems from like, it's building trust to say like, look, I, yes, I want to sell you software, but at the same time, like I want to sell you trust that we can help in the life cycle of your business because you're going to come to us for so much more. Our relationship's going to be deeper. And if you implement our software at the time that it's right, it's going to work way better for everybody. And so mm-hmm. I, yeah, it's, it's, 
it definitely takes, it's, it's hard to tell business no, but it's, I think it's important for a lot of people. Yeah. One of our, our, our brand promise at Atomic is really twofold. You know, first and foremost, we want to make sure we're providing a, a really sound technical solution, you know, both, both from a user experience and like technically. But the other part of it is like, we want, we want you to be enjoying the journey or enjoying the ride. Right. And I think if, if we're working on something together, that's really moving the needle for your business um, and you're really engaged with, like you're going to, there's way better chance that you're going to be enjoying that experience. Um, you know, life's, life's too short to not be working with people you like working with. Oh my gosh. And it's, uh, firing a customer that's just mean to your employees is also an oddly satisfying feeling. (laughs) (laughs) I hate hate to say that out loud, but occasionally you get ones that are just not at it anyways. But, um, so for you guys, obviously I I think sort of when you came back from Boston to the Grand Rapids area, the main focus was around like, I think you said 20 mile radius of Grand mm-hmm. Rapids, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So obviously you guys have broadened a footprint. There's a lot more than that. So walk, walk me through kind of the expansion, both geographically, also philosophically as well. Yeah, yeah. So when I, when I came back from, uh, from Massachusetts, um, uh, I, I, I did development for a year to just kind of just get reacclimated to the team. And, and Atomic was about 20 people at the time. And then um, in, in 2009, I started working much closer with Carl, who was pretty much doing... Um, the majority of the of the sales, the hiring, um, uh, you know, the, the the people side of HR, less of the administration, but the people side of HR, um, uh, finance, all those things. And uh, at the time, I also started working very closely with Sean Crowley, who's my my partner today at Atomic. Um, and what was cool is, you know. Uh, Carl's so wise with this stuff, right? Like he, he comes back to first principles so often. And, uh, um, you know, I, I think maybe because he didn't have a formal business background, like he's just like, well, I'll just get both of these guys working with me. And instead of like, instead of like focusing Mike on finance and Sean on sales, you know, he, he really just let us work with him doing everything. So over the course of the next couple of years, you know, I got to learn how to do the financial side of the business, how to, how to sell, um, how to, uh, um, how to, um, how to manage people, um, all of those things. And I got to learn that really closely with Sean at the time, which was really great. And, uh, um, it's so cool, you know, being able to have a partner going through all that with, um, and, and, and over time we, we worked together to, um, you know, with a lot of help from a lot of other people as well, but like growing the business, uh, we expanded geographically first into Detroit and then into Ann Arbor, um, into Chicago, um, you know, we, we kind of slowly continued to, to grow the company, like about 10% a year, but like over time that, that compounds nicely. Um, and, uh, we just, we just did it by, you know, continuing to, to just do great work, uh, for our clients and, uh, be really, uh, be really fair, uh, with our team and, and, and treat people well. So let's double click on the partnership thing for a hot second, because maybe not most, but there's a large number of people who would not necessarily agree with having a partner always works out well. Um, totally. I'll, I'll give you, I had a partner. Uh, so I started it myself, then brought in a partner and that didn't work out. I had to buy out a partner kind of an early, like early, early stage, just, mm-hmm. just different philosophies around things, all good. But, um, and I know a lot of people feel that way. So the fact that it worked out for you guys is freaking amazing. What, what do you think added to that? What do you think was just random dumb luck? What do you think was, 
maybe the magic sauce that that made it all work versus so many partnerships that end? Yeah. So, I mean, I think I'll primarily talk about my partnership with Sean. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, you could say some of it was dumb luck. Like we both, we both happened to be at the company at the time when Carl really needed help uh, growing and scaling it. And we happened to be the people who were like most interested in helping with that. Um, and then I think our, our relationship really blossomed because we were, we were both learning these new things together um, with, with the help of Carl. But like, you know, we were really in some ways, you know, thrown into the fire with some support and we would have each other to lean on. So like we were, we were learning how to sell together. We were learning how to um, manage people together. And, you know, where our personalities are, um, are similar, but they're enough different that like, you know, we could bring different perspectives to the table. And, you know, we worked together for so long uh, before, we, before we eventually moved into the, the co-CEO role in, in, in 2019. So, you know, for 10 years, we, we worked together very closely, um, first very closely with Carl and then as managing partners of our Grand Rapids office as we, as we scaled our geography. Um, so we just, we built a, a, a deep, deep trust for each other over those years. Um, do you, you know, you mentioned sort of the philosophy with Carl was like, Hey, we're just going to go dive in and do everything together. Mm-hmm. Has that evolved change specifically now with you and Sean, has that evolved changed? Do you guys have an area of focus that you guys have kind of dialed in on? And I guess if you were to hypothetically, let's say you guys were looking to replace your and Sean's role with somebody else doing the same exact thing, would you encourage the same way that you guys did it? Would you do it differently? I'd love kind of your thoughts on that. Yeah. So we, we, we've duplicated a lot of it. So, um, one thing we learned like expanding into different geographies, um, we have a very, uh, kind of distributed company architecture where we have managing partners that run our, our geographies that are, that are really empowered, like GMs of those, of those geographies. They have profit and loss, um, responsibilities for those geographies, and they really, they really work as, as, a, as a team. So they work together to do all of the selling, you know, hiring, um, uh, people management, client account management type stuff, right? And uh, um, what we learned is like you can have a really small office and, it, and economically it probably makes sense to you shouldn't have two managers, right? But, uh, um, you know, a, a, lot of the, a lot of the principles of like agile software development are like around teams and, and pairing and what we saw worked so well with me and Sean and, um, you know, what we saw didn't work, uh, in our Detroit office when we only had one managing partner. Um, and so we just decided that, you know, we were going to continue to replicate this idea of having pairs in leadership positions throughout the organization. Um, uh, so, you know, we've replicated that, that quite a bit. And I think if it came to like a succession for me or Sean, like, you know, the first place we would look is, is, is the people running our offices to say like, you know, who, who would be ready to kind of, kind of come up into the, into the CEO seat. I love that. That's awesome. So now let's take a step for you guys, you know, for, for, for Mike, you personally, um, with obviously all the work and effort that you guys are doing and the impact, I mean, the, the footprint that Atomic Object has is just amazing. I mean, you guys are obviously super well-known in, in Michigan, but also well-known just as, as kind of go-to people from a software, you know, just literature perspective, learning how to get in the software world. Um, kind of next steps for you personally, whether it's in the business, whether it's out of the business, like what are you, 
what are you hoping to accomplish? What's kind of on your career bucket list? What's most important to you? Like, what are you spending your time thinking about as far as impact goes? I'd love kind of your thoughts on that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, you know, I can kind of split this, you know, with an atomic. Yeah, I was about to say those are very broad, broad, overarching questions. (laughs) Right, right. So, you know, one of the things I like about atomic is, um, you know, we have a goal to be a hundred year old company, right? And on the surface, it's like, oh, that, that, that sounds nice, right? But it's, in its, in its simplistic nature, um, it really helps focus us on on how we act and behave. You know, how do we how do we treat how do we treat our atoms, which is our name for our employees, right? Like, how do we treat our clients? Um, how do we treat the community we're in, right? And I feel I feel like on this hundred year journey as a company, Sean and I are are stewards of the company. Like, our job is really to you know to make sure that the company has the, the care and feeding it needs. To, to move on to the next generation. Um, the, I think the organization means a lot to a lot of people, the people that, that work with us, um, like I said, our clients, our communities. Um, and, uh, and for me, I, I, I just, I want to continue doing my best to um, help position us for long-term success so that we can continue having good jobs for people and, and continue that, that impact. So within Atomic, like what drives me is, is, is the stewardship of the team. And uh, um, you know the stewardship of, of of the company and and where we want to be um, in in life. You know, I, I think I'm still figuring this part out. Um, I really like the um, the motto of like give more than you take. Um, you know, I we talked about this earlier with you know uh, clients, for instance, right? Like if a client's coming to us um, and they really shouldn't be building custom software at all, right? Like. I'm happy to sit down with them, talk with them, spend the time with them to help them understand, you know, a, a different option, even though we're not necessarily immediately getting something right away. And uh, um, I like that same, that same thought process in my life. I want to, I want to be a person who, who gives more than I take um, uh, from the world. And I think I'm growing every day there. Um, and I, I just, I think what really drives me there is, are there opportunities that, that, that can unlock others so that they can create value as well? I love that. And, and I want to double click on the, um, the hundred year policy or the hundred year company focus, because yeah. I, um, I listened to a talk. This was probably five years, yeah, five ish years ago. And it was an entrepreneur, um, who had started and sold, I think six companies mm-hmm. for, and the minimum was $50 million per company, right? Wow. Mm-hmm. Huge success. I mean, just whatever reason, figure out a methodology and pretty young guy. Um, I mean, just whatever. So he, he gets up and he's delivering this talk and he kind of goes and, and it's to a group of a hundred, you know, I was, I was either, I was just out of college at the time. So it was all people pretty similar to my age wanting to launch businesses and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So he, he stands up and he goes, I'm going to probably deliver the most depressing talk that none of you want to hear, but somebody needs to hear it. And he goes, here's we, the world we live in right now. You're being encouraged to start a really, really cool company to, to in, you know, whether it's take on capital or grow it organically or whatever. And then you're encouraged to, you know, build it to the point where you can sell it or take tons of money out of the business and then on to your next thing. He goes, that's great. That's awesome. But he goes, all six of my companies within two years of being done after a huge exit no longer are in existence. And he goes, most people don't spend time thinking about the fact that, you know, have you built a company that can sustain without you? And, mm-hmm. and the fact that you guys have that philosophy in hundred years is a freaking amazing goal. Not that everybody has to have that goal, but mm-hmm. I don't think many people running or operating or building businesses or spending that much time thinking about like the longevity of it without you versus like, 
I want to build this. I want to make plenty of money. Yeah, sure. I want to impact the lives of the people that I'm currently working with. And then once that's done, then I'm onward. And it's like the, the philosophy of kind of what's the, how does this thing survive and morph and grow on its own without the select key people um, is, is, is fascinating. So I, I, I love that philosophy. I think that's awesome. Yeah, I, I th- thanks. I appreciate that. And I, I feel like one of the interesting things is how do you make it, how do you make it outlive you? Those are really interesting challenges to think through. And selfless, and, selfless challenges too. I mean, it's like, I, that's, that's the part I think I really like is like, I, 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 for a hot second, when you said a hundred years, I'm like, shit, I'm hoping wedge lasts 12 months. Like, <laughs> and, 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 and like, I say that kind of kidding, but I'm like, I, I'm, I'm hoping this thing succeeds during the duration. And then once I've kind of got mine, then it's like, what's next. And then without even thinking about how important this thing is to me right now and how to potentially build this thing. So it's important for somebody else when I'm long gone, whether it's literally living or onto the next business, whatever it may be. And, and I, it's, it's a very selfless mindset to be thinking about a hundred year old company, knowing you're going to be well gone before that. I mean, maybe not, but theoretically you're going to be well gone before that. Yeah. And that, that's, that's kind of how me and Sean joked is like, no one's eating the cake at that party. Right. Right. Um, so we, we have found a, another, a, like a group of like-minded companies. It's called a tugboat group. Um, it's uh, the, the, the term for these companies are evergreen companies. And uh, um, basically what they are is they're like privately held companies um, you know, that subscribe to like a, like a certain set of values. They're, they're people first. Uh, they're focused on making profit. They're going to make pragmatic innovation. Um, they're privately held. Um, and uh, and what, what they look to do is uh, basically just create like long-term businesses that can create lasting impact and lasting value. And you don't, in some ways, you don't have to give up on the money side to do that, right? So like basically what you're saying is you're saying, hey, instead of like a big exit, I'm going to make, I'm going to build a, a company that's profitable year over year over year over year. And I'm going to build something that can have like long-term sustaining impact. It was actually founded by a guy, Dave Wharton, who, uh, um, who, was one of, who was one of the original VCs in Silicon Valley. And I think, you know, he just came to the conclusion, like the, the play in Silicon Valley has become get big fast, right? And so you have these companies and it's all about growth, 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 growth. And by the way, never show any profit because once you show profit, then you can be valued on your profit instead of just your potential growth. And... You know, when I think about it is like, are, are we building lasting companies that way? Are we building companies that are going to, that are going to make positive impact in communities for years to come? Yeah. And, and that's like, I'm kind of spending a little bit of time chewing on what's the hybrid between those because Mm -hmm. like, and, and, and at some point I, I would love to be involved in like an amazing lifestyle, like literally the same philosophy with you guys currently with our company, it's. It's like the difference between do we eat the philosophy of the coast and say the only point of our existence is to grow as fast as we possibly can for the largest exit in the you know best time possible versus, mm-hmm. you know, do we, for whatever reason, quote unquote, cop out and go build a nice, really cool company and look for a 50 to $100 million exit? Like, mm-hmm. it's always really funny when I hear somebody like, yeah, like you could go big or you could, you know, just go for like a 50 to $100 million exit. And I'm like... The fact that that you're saying it like that is one of A, condescending and B, just like absurd to hear you say that out loud. Like, 
it, yeah. it, it, it's, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's a fascinating, it's anyways, I, I really appreciate your perspective on that because I don't spend as much time thinking about that. I think as I should. Um, and it's, but I, I think it's cool. Great. Yeah. Um, so one, one question that I, uh, <laughs> one kind of funny question that I have is, so Wedge has been around for six years and I mm-hmm. probably weekly have somebody say, I've got an app idea and I want to launch this company, right? And all the time, time after time, it's, I've got this cool idea. I need to build an app. Cool idea. I need to build an app. Cool idea. I need to build an app. And there's so many things that need to be involved in that conversation that probably don't happen with people. But for, for, the, for the person out there who's got an idea in the software space, whether it's an app, a website, whatever it is, what's like the first step that they should take? Yeah, so I, I've actually written a, a series of blog posts on this because we get this question quite a bit. Um, it's, a, it's called a, the Startup uh, Roadmap. Um, and I, I can send it to you after uh, um, Yeah, I'd love to include this. show notes as well. But yeah, I try and... The first thing I try and talk to people about is, you know, what kind of what kind of product development you have have done, and like what, like are you are you in love with the idea of your app, or are you in love with the problem you're trying to solve? And and, and I find those things are very very different. So I like people to focus on. I like to encourage people to try and focus on like what what problem are you solving, and who benefits from that problem, and then what kind of work can you do before you've written any software at all to start validating that that is a real problem people have. And then after that, after you've got some validation there, like what kind of experiments can you do before you write custom software where you can like test to see if people will actually find value in it? Like, is there something you can cobble together in a small scale with spreadsheets, for instance, and manually doing the work to see if it'll provide value, right? Because by, by definition, going to an application is like committing something to an algorithm and an algorithm is just rigid, you know? So like you, you, you want to be pretty sure that you know that you're fairly confident that you're solving the right problem to take it to that level. I, uh, I think that's such a fascinating place to start. I mean, and I I like your original question because you hear so many people say, well, I want to launch a business. I just don't have a good idea. Well, and then the follow-up is, I have this brilliant idea and I really, really want to launch this company. I want to launch this company. I want to launch this company. Most of the time, what I found is those are people who just work corporate jobs that want to stop and they're looking for an excuse to do so. And yeah. I'm, I'm not saying that that's bad. I'm not saying that that's bad, but that doesn't necessarily mean your idea is solving problems. And just because it's a good idea doesn't necessarily mean it's a good business. What came first for you? Like, Were you looking to, to solve a problem in the marketplace or... Was it, was it just an idea of how to solve a problem? So my, uh, I owned a landscaping and lawn care company from mm-hmm. 15 to 21 and I'd probably hired 25 people and literally like had a chance to sell it. And so I had literally a week in the car with my dad cause we drove out to Jackson hole in Wyoming. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of just chewing through this and I was kind of reflecting on like, all right, what made that thing successful? Like now that I know starting a small company and selling a small company, like I kind of want to do that again. Um, and so I was kind of like, what made that company successful? Like that's more what I spent time thinking of, not that I want to launch something, but what made the last one work? Mm-hmm. And it was like, I, for landscaping, I just hired pretty good people. Like I hired well-spoken, mainly like college guys who are my friends who like could go talk to customers and like I could teach them how to mow a lawn. I could teach them how to weed whack, but I couldn't teach them 
how to go shake somebody's hand, how to go talk to the old lady who's very particular about the way her lawns built, those sorts of things, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so then, you know, as I, I went to Hope College and, and I'm talking to all my friends and they're all saying the same thing, like, I have a resume and I have a cover letter and it doesn't have that much info on it because I haven't lived that much life and there wasn't that much opportunity to sort of showcase who I was as a person. So then I sort of, and, and again, this is a little bit like consolidating a period of time into one thought. But So then I started to call like a bunch of the previous people I was doing landscaping for who are a lot of business owners. And I just said, walk me through what your hiring process looks like. And everybody said the same thing, like, you know, resumes suck, hiring people's hard, and this whole process takes forever. So then I kind of was like, huh, I wonder if there's potentially a solution there. And sort of, I kind of arrived at an idea that I liked, which was this sort of asynchronous video. And then Mm -hmm. I started to talk to people and sort of somewhat validated, somewhat sold it. Like it was kind of a little, I probably should have done it. I probably could have done a lot better job of understanding the hiring process before I had my idea that I try to kind of force down people's throat. And then all of a sudden it's, it evolved, but that's kind of where, where the whole thing started from. So you took something you had a, you had a deep expertise for and, and recognized that, you know, recognize you had a little bit of a, a competitive advantage is what made your first company successful. And you also recognized like, wow, like these people, like that, you know, the people I'm looking to hire, they differentiate themselves with, with their personality, their presence. And how do I, how do I get that, uh, in front of their resume? Yep. So yeah, yeah, I, I totally see it as like you, you, you had a problem that like you, you set out to solve that, that you knew would create value for people. And then the, the, then the solution followed. Yeah, it, it was, it was, uh, I think it helped because I sort of lived the pain of mm-hmm. hiring. And I think that certainly helps quite a bit when you have the opportunity to sort of experience the pain yourself and then try to solve the interesting thing though. And this is both for better or for worse, but I entered into HR, which I knew absolutely nothing about. And that's <laughs> the part that took me four, five, like even today, I'm still learning and understanding HR good and bad that HR is. Um, Mm -hmm. And and that's been, I think the part that like, I don't know, that's been probably the fascinating part is like, I actually would encourage a lot of like people that don't be afraid that you're not an expert in the space to try to go launch a company in that space. But if you're going to do that, you have to be an expert in the problem you're trying to solve. And then, Mm -hmm. and and that's anyway, so that was kind of my, my, my background in that. Or, Or be very willing as an individual to be an expert at becoming an expert. Exactly. And that doesn't come from having opinions and asking people to pat you on the back. That comes from forgetting everything you know and asking questions and then formulating thoughts after those questions, like after you listen to people sharing that. Yeah, totally. I love it. I love it. So Mike, in your world, um, you've, you guys have obviously had such an impact. I mean, for, for you, you kind of, I think you kind of touched, started to touch base on this, but what gets you out of bed in the morning? What is it that kind of drives, drives you and, um, it's just kind of the point of all of it. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, then I'll you know, figuratively, like I'm I'm very addicted to coffee. Like that's what gets me out of bed in the morning. That's, that's but, a good start. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I really love to learn new things. Yeah. I enjoy ideas. Um, I enjoy um, new ways of doing things. Um, you know, I like to I like to figure out ways uh, to simplify complex things. Um, so I like, I like automation. I like clear communication. You know, I always joke with people that 
I know you're a really good developer when you're like, in, in some ways, like lazy. Like you've done something so like, like someone who's lazy, like will just refuse to do repetitive tasks. They'll figure out a way to not do those. Um, I love that. Um, uh, you know, I think my favorite thing uh, is figuring out, I'm very competitive, so I, I like to win, but like I've learned that in, in life and in business, like what you really want is you want win-wins, right? Like that there's doesn't, there doesn't have to be a winner and a loser, like everyone can win. Um, and I, I love finding, you know, whether it's with our, with our clients or uh, an employee or a friend or, or whoever else, like how, to, how, do, we, how do we find win-wins um, with whatever we're doing? I love that. And I love the lazy comment. It's like, as a good developer, your job is to make something work better. And your job is to sometimes create things that literally are supposed to be like, I don't want to do that. And I just want to not have to repetitively do that. So I'm just going to write software that helps it. So I don't have to do it. <laughs> like I love right. that. Yes, exactly. Yes, exactly. It is. It's always a telltale sign. If, it, if you find someone who's like smart and curious and creative and like a bit lazy, they might be a good developer. Yeah. Oh, they're <laughs> such a good developer. <laughs> so good. Well, Mike, this has been awesome. Is there anything else you want to leave the audience with? I think with your, uh, well, one, just like your blog, and I know you've done some amazing writing out there. We'll throw that into show notes and point people towards that. But um, anything else you want to leave the audience with? Yeah. Yeah. There's one thing I was thinking of um, recently. And, uh, you know, I just, I just feel like in the world, there's, there's so many like really smart people out there. Um, but I just keep thinking about, and this is maybe a little bit to your, how you were hiring people. Um, you know, I think the true differentiator for, for sustainable long-term success is really like perseverance and commitment to the right things by people, especially during the hard times. Um, I feel there will always be hard, hard times, hard things will always happen. And I, I just feel that people will really respect you based on how you respond during those hard times. That's how people are going to like primarily judge you as an individual. Um, and I've, I've just been, that's been on my mind a lot. Um, on my mind a lot about how do I, how do I teach people to like lean into the hard times because they're, they're tremendous opportunities to, um, to really show your true colors. Um, like no one, no, no one remembers when everything was going great, right? They remember when times were tough. Um, and I just think those are such good opportunities to build lasting relationships. So double clicking on that for a second. Um, I think, uh, I think I think a lot of people can can absolutely agree with that. And I think one of the hardest things is recognizing when you're in a tough time, whether it's like momentarily, like Mike, you and I are both heated in a discussion and we said things that we didn't want to say or whatever. But how mm -hmm. have you as a leader sort of recognized that you're in a tough time and recognizing that if you sort of weren't you know disciplined or weren't containing your thoughts or weren't containing reactions, like how have you sort of uh, I guess, address that knowing that there have been tough times and in the moment sort of been able to sort of see through that. Yeah, I think this is something I'm certainly always, always growing on. Yeah, I was about I, to say, because we're all perfect, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm not, uh, I'm certainly not good at it, but I, uh, um, you know, I think there's a book called uh, Crucial Conversations. Yeah. And, and what Crucial Conversations is really about is like, you know, when you're in that heated conversation, like, do you let kind of your lizard brain take over? Or do you, do you let higher order thought take over? So I, I sometimes like, I have to remind myself that, you know, like anything, sometimes it's good to punt. So like, if you feel yourself in that situation, maybe it's good to just figure out a way to excuse yourself from the conversation, collect your thoughts, come back later. 
Um, yeah. You can come back a little more level-headed. Yeah. Usually a good night's sleep or a hot shower or a cup of coffee are a great way to kind of decompress and come back to it. Exactly. <laughs> That's so good. Well, Mike, seriously, this has been awesome. I uh, definitely look up look up to you guys, look up to Carl. Sean's great. You guys have such a such a cool company, such a cool team. And so I, I seriously, just thank you for uh, for being a guest on this podcast and thank you for just the, the man that you are. Yeah, I really appreciate that. And, uh, um, you know, kudos right back to you. I've been, I've been following Wedge and uh, it's really awesome what, what, you, what you've all put together, the team you've built, the product you have. Um, I, think, I think you got uh, obviously a lot of success and I, I think uh, a lot more coming. That's good stuff. Well, Mike, thanks again. All right. You just listened to an amazing episode on the Matt Baxter Show. It had nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the guests that I have and the stories that we get to tell and the smack talking we get to have. So if you enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes that you've listened to, feel free to su- subscribe on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcast. Check us out at themattbaxtershow.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at Matt C. Baxter, Twitter, or Facebook as well, too. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, whether it's through an email on the website or whether it's through any of the social platforms. I do my best to get back to people as soon as I can. But thank you again for listening. I hope you enjoy. Feel free to send feedback in any way. And don't be afraid to share the Matt Baxter Show. We're very excited to have you as a listener and hope you continue to listen as well. Thanks a ton. Bye-bye.